One thing I've learned throughout the years of being a pastor is that not everyone will remember everything you say, but they will often remember the way you made them feel. I'm wondering if there was a time in your life where you remember maybe not all the circumstances of what happened to you or everything that someone did for you, but you definitely remember the way they made you feel. Or to be more specific, were you ever treated like an extraordinary person? For me, the first time I remember experiencing this was actually the honeymoon that I went on with my first wife. My only wife. (laughs) She's my one and only. Um, So we were going on our honeymoon, and we were in our early to mid-20s. We were not wealthy by any means. Um, She had a job with a local college. I was still going through seminary, and so we we just got married. I mean, we, it's not like we were rich by any means, but she found a great deal where we were able to go to Ixtapa, Mexico for I don't know how long it was. I don't remember all the details. But one of the things I remember is that as we arrived and as we got to this all-inclusive resort, which was my first time being at one, I remember being treated like a king. Now, I know that this was just a typical all-inclusive resort, but this was my first time experiencing an omelet bar where you could order anything you wanted, any toppings, English or Spanish. It doesn't matter. The chef knows how to make it. This was my first time experiencing being able to go to a wide variety of restaurants, and you don't have to worry about the bill because you already paid for everything when you got the hotel. And perhaps the biggest thing, I remember the delight when I realized There's a swim-up bar, and you don't have to pay for anything. This was amazing in my world. They were just treating us like we were extraordinary. And I understood the only reason they're treating us this way is because they were hired to do this. These people are getting paid to do this. But there was one person at that resort that made me think otherwise. His name was Julio. And I'm going to put a picture up here. This was before cell phone pictures, but uh, that's me, that's Amy, that's Julio. Julio was on staff at the resort, but he was a little bit different. He was genuinely curious about our life as Americans. He was genuinely curious to learn about our customs, how we phrase things, and he, just, he, was, he was enamored by us, it seemed. And so anytime he would see us, it was like, oh, hey, how are you doing? And he just thought the world of us. He didn't do anything spectacular. I mean, he kind of showed us around a little bit, and he gave us a few tips as far as what to do in the area. But he treated us as if we were extraordinary, and not because he was getting paid a lot of money to do it. And so I'm wondering for you, when was the first time you felt like an extraordinary person because you were being treated in an extraordinary way? Well, we're in a series called An Unexpected Christmas. And basically in this series, what we're seeing is that when we dig into the details of that very first Christmas, there were so many details that were unexpected. Everything from Jesus' family tree. Um, Last week, we saw the shepherds, the first people who heard the announcement. Uh, We saw how Mary had to be totally facing some unexpected details that first Christmas. There were so many things. But here's what we're seeing from the series. We should expect that things should be unexpected because God was doing things that nobody could imagine. God did what nobody would expect in order to do what nobody could imagine. And here's what we believe about 
Christmas. It's not just the birth of a special person. It's not just the birth of a remarkable person, but this is an extraordinary, a super ordinary person. Jesus is the eternal son of God who became a human being, just like you, just like me. This is an extraordinary person. And one would think that as God sends his son into this world, it would be with a full NICU unit available nearby. It would be with all the best teams of doctors and nurses available. But what we're going to see today is that though Jesus was extraordinary, he was not treated in an extraordinary way. But here's what we would expect. Number one, we would expect that an extraordinary baby should receive extraordinary care. But that was not the case. And today I want to show you how, and I want to show you why. I think something that every parent can relate with is that when you're having your first child, you have a birthing plan. You have an idea which hospital you'll go to. You know the best route to get there. We even had a little bag set up. Like this is our go-to bag. We had it ready like six weeks before due date. We had a birthing plan. But the birthing plan that Mary and Joseph might've had had to be thrown out the window. And as we dig into this story today, all of this, this seems so unexpected to us, but just keep in mind, this was by God's plan. The way Jesus came into this world was not an accident, but there was a purpose and a message behind it. And we're going to see what that was. So we're going to look at Luke chapter two, a, such a familiar section that contains some Christ, the, the Christmas story, the Christmas narrative. And I know it's so easy for me, at least, as I read through this section to go on autopilot and just let the you know, words go through my brain and not really think about them. But what I want to encourage you to do is to, is to look at this section as it really is. Luke interviewed eyewitnesses, and then he wrote down an orderly account of Jesus' life. And so Luke, as he's interviewing people, he has enough content to say, I need to record what happened when Jesus was born. And as he does so, I want you to pay attention to the details he chooses to include and the details he, as a doctor and as a very smart person, chooses to skip over. So here's how he starts the story of the birthday of Jesus. He says this, in those days, um, back in the first century, you couldn't just say on December 20th of 2020, because they didn't have months and dates and years like we do right now. In order to pin down the date of an event, you had to basically look at a greater event that everyone could recognize. So Luke says, in those days, here are the days I'm talking about, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And Caesar Augustus would issue all sorts of decrees. This was normal for Caesar to do. And for each one, it would have implications on the Roman Empire. So I wonder, was there a decree big enough that everyone would be able to recognize and remember? And Luke says, I think there was. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. The way it worked back then is they had to identify who was in the kingdom. Who is taxable? What do we have to work with? And they couldn't tax the entire kingdom at once because that would tax the empire too much to put that sort of resources out. And so they'd go area by area, section by section, and as Luke is recording this, he recognizes this is too big of a thing. 
Just to say that Caesar Augustus wanted a, wanted a um, census taken of the entire world, that's too much. And so Luke says, we need to narrow this down even more. He's basically saying, go ahead and fact check me. This is exactly when it happened. So he, he further says, this was the first census, not the second one, but the first one that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so Luke pinpoints with all historical accuracy when this birthday was. And just sorry to break it to you, but it was not December 25th. That's just when we celebrate his birthday. We don't know exactly when it was. It's probably in the springtime, but we can get into that another day. So with all these details, Luke is just piling in so many facts about the day of Jesus' birth. And then he finally gets to one thing that brings us into the story. He says, everyone went to their own town to register. This would have implications for everyone in the Roman Empire. Specifically, at least what we know is for those who were in the area of Judea. Jews recognized the importance of remembering and recording their family line. We saw that in week one of the series. And so what Jews would do during census time is they would go back to the home, their hometown, their birth town, and that's where they would register, like, check in, like, yes, I am here. Yes, I am a citizen, or at least a Jewish citizen. And so now we get into the story of Jesus. Just, I want, before we get there, just look at all these details that Luke sees fit to add just to get us to the point of Jesus' day of birth. And then he finally gets to Joseph and Mary. He goes on. So Joseph also went up. I, this is confusing if you're reading this for the first time because it sounds like he's mentioning five different places. In reality, Luke is just being very specific so that we know exactly where this is taking place. Joseph went up from the town. I keep kicking this. He went up from the town of Nazareth to Bethlehem. Those are the two key words to look at. From the town of Nazareth, which is in the area of Galilee, to Bethlehem, which is in the area of Judea. Bethlehem was the town of David, the town that David was born in, King David, because Joseph belonged to the house and the line of David. Joseph was compelled to go back to Bethlehem. From Nazareth to Bethlehem was about an 85-mile journey. Bethlehem was about, is about five miles outside of Jerusalem. And so if you can just imagine traveling 85 miles, for a poor person, they wouldn't even have a horse or a donkey. It was just walking so best case scenario, four days, unless you have someone with some medical conditions who might be slowing you down. Next verse, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So imagine 85 miles, not just a healthy young man, but 85 miles with a very pregnant wife, who still looks beautiful and thin, by the way. But she is very pregnant by this time. And Luke, um, as Luke records this, maybe he's getting into some of these details. Like he's allowing us to think about what life must have been like for Joseph and Mary traveling that distance when she was ready to give birth. But what we do know is that there was significance behind this trip. It wasn't just a, oh, you remember when we traveled there. But this was one of the many ways that God from heaven was orchestrating this world so that the prophecies would be fulfilled. The Savior would be born in Bethlehem. This census was no accident. Mary, 
being joined to Joseph was no accident. God coming to Joseph in a dream, telling him, don't leave Mary. The, the baby in her is from God. That was no accident. All these things work together because God had a purpose in it, even though it made things really uncomfortable in the moment. So they went to Bethlehem. They're there to register. Just imagine all the people who had to come to Bethlehem to register for this census. And Joseph and Mary are one of many. Perhaps they had family. They most likely had some sort of distant relatives there that they could stay with. But when the time came, or when they were there, the time came, next verse, the time came for the baby to be born. Now, (laughs) Luke is like teeing us up here. Like this is the most significant moment so far in human history, God becoming flesh. And now God himself is about to be born as a human being. This is the most significant event in all of human history so far. So what details does Luke, the medical doctor, see fit to add about this? I'm sure he had questions. Like, what was it like carrying the son of God for nine months? What was the labor and delivery like? Like, did it cause you pain? What, so many questions that we could ask. But here's how Luke continues. He just says, she gave birth. Come on, Luke. That's all you've got? That's all he says. She gave birth. No other details. The only detail he sees fit to add is one of Jewish significance, ancestry significance. In in legal terms, Jesus was the firstborn son, which means he would carry on the family name. There were implications for this in Jewish culture, but there were no other details about his birth. Happy birthday, Jesus. Like, this is it. She gave birth. And this is remarkable to me because the lack of details should tell you something. But before I get to that, here's how this verse ends. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Um, Some try to make a big deal about the cloth thing. Like Mary wrapping him in cloths was a foreshadow of how Jesus would be wrapped in cloths at the end of his life after he had died. Uh, But in reality, when Mary wrapped him in cloths, she was doing what any Palestinian mother would do in the first century. As soon as a baby is born, it's not like you have a bunch of outfits for them. They didn't have baby showers. Maybe they had baby showers. They didn't have baby outfits back then like we do today. You know, your, your dressers are full by the time the baby comes. When the baby came, you just wrapped up the baby however you could. You get it tight. You get it comfortable. You get it warm. And then eventually you get clothes for the child. When Mary gave birth to Jesus, she, she did what any mother would do. She wrapped him in cloths. But then she did something that no other mother really had to do. See, as they were in Bethlehem, they didn't have hotels back then. In bigger cities, they might have like what we would consider inns or hotels, but probably not in Bethlehem. Most likely, they were staying in someone's house. And houses back then were not like three levels and you know 3,000 square feet. A Palestinian house in the first century was most typically one large room where everybody slept, Maybe another room for meal, a small room for for meals and meal prep. And then other than that, the only other area would be under the same roof, but on a lower floor, on ground level, there would be a little stable area where where the animals would live. And so as you picture this first century Palestinian home, you've got Mary and Joseph staying with some people who graciously opened up their one room to them, but there was no room to put an extra baby. 
Or maybe Mary and Joseph graciously you know, realized, we don't want to keep all these people up all night long in this one room. And so they went into the stable under the same roof, but just right next door, and they placed him in the manger. There are so many details that Luke doesn't add, but he adds this. He doesn't tell us what labor and delivery was like. He doesn't tell us what sort of support they had and whether or not there were doctors or nurses nearby. All we hear is that she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. And all the lack of details tells me something. It should tell you something too. The day of Jesus' birth was not an extraordinary day. The way Jesus was welcomed into the world was by no means an extraordinary welcome. The birth of Jesus was unexpectedly ordinary. He was born just like any other human being is born. The labor that Mary went through was just like the labor of any other mother who was being born. And I'm sorry to break this to you, but unlike the popular song, which we will be singing this week, unlike what the popular song might suggest, it was probably not a silent night. It was probably not a holy night. It was not all calm. It was not all peaceful. There was crying. There was pain. There were issues. It was a difficult day for Joseph and Mary. Joseph feeling the burden of two lives at stake, his wife, soon-to-be wife, and, and the sunborn son, and Mary obviously feeling the pain of that day. This was an ordinary birth. So why would that be? We would expect that an extraordinary child should receive extraordinary care and attention. He should have his own Julio at his side, tending to his every need. Someone who is just enamored by him. Someone who is looking out for him. And sure, he had his parents, but it was such an ordinary birth. And the reason for this was not an accident. It was not just an unfortunate set of circumstances. What I believe is that him being born in this way and placed in a manger was by design. As Jesus himself would one day say, he did not come here to be treated like an extraordinary person. He came here to treat everyone else as extraordinary people. He came here to serve. To serve. And in this moment here, we have an important lesson in something that Ben mentioned um, last week. It's this idea of humility. And to get to the heart of this, we're going to see that Jesus' birth being placed in the manger, it was just the first of many things that happened to Jesus in what we call his state of humility. But to get to the heart of it, there's this beautiful section in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about what it meant that Jesus was a humble person. It says this, uh, the apostle Paul said, in your relationships with, with other people, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, the same beliefs in your mind, the same way you see the world, the same way you see people as Christ Jesus. And here's the mindset that Jesus had from day one. Though he was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He had this mindset of humility that even though he could have demanded extraordinary treatment from people, he passed. Though he was in very nature God, he didn't consider that something to be used to his own advantage. And you see that at his birth. He was placed in a manger. <laughs> 
That was not an extraordinary way to be treated. He was placed in a manger for his first bed. You see this throughout his life also, though. In all the miracles that he did, not once did he do a miracle for his own benefit. Like, man, I'm hungry. I really don't want to make some food. Microwave. You know, he didn't like invent things just to make his life easier. His miracles were always designed to treat others as extraordinary and to point others to himself as the son of God. And Paul goes on here in Philippians. He says, rather Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. There's this, this important mindset Jesus had of humility. And this is something that many of us, I think especially in America, need to practice and get good at. It's that even though you may be in a higher position, you act and live and think as if you are not. Your mindset shifts so that you are no longer expecting to be treated in an extraordinary way, but you, treat, you, you view yourself as one who does that for others. Jesus had this mindset. Part of humility is a choice in the way that you decide to see yourself and see the people around you. Humility is a choice, but not all humility is a choice. There's a difference between being humble and being humbled. This next verse illustrates that. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility is a mindset that shapes the way you see the world and see yourself. But being humbled is when your circumstances are changed for you. Humility is where you decide to serve others. Being humbled is where something is taken away from you. Being humbled is when you go through a year like 2020 and something is taken away from you. For some people, it was a career. Maybe it wasn't taken away altogether, but it definitely changed, and it's not what it used to be. For, for some people, it was financial. You were humbled. You used to be fine, but now you've been humbled because something was taken from you. For some of you, it was relational. You used to be doing so well, but now you've been humbled. Your time with people you love has been taken away. You see, being humbled means that the circumstances in your life have changed. But what we see from Jesus is that he was both humble and he was humbled. His decision to be humble actually allowed him to be humbled. Number three, Jesus' humility allowed him to be humbled. It allowed him to go into moments in life where things were taken from him and he could handle it. In fact, he did so as a decision, perhaps for you and for me. He humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that even his life was taken away from him so that you and I today can have some good news, that even though we totally get this wrong, even though we try to elevate ourselves to receive extraordinary treatment that we don't deserve, Jesus came to treat you in an extraordinary way, to love you like no one else could. And so my question for you as we wrap up this series is I just want you to think about what manger you might be in right now. One thing I find interesting is that uh, the word manger and the word anger are only one word apart. I'm sorry, one letter apart. You take the M off of manger and you get anger. Um, Some of you might have anger issues in 2020 because you have manger issues. Uh, Things were taken from you. You've been placed into a position where you've been humbled 
but you were not in a, in a good place to be able to receive it. Not a literal manger, but in an area of life, maybe something's been taken. You've been humbled. And maybe you didn't have the humility to be able to stand it. So here's my question. What are you stuck in right now? What manger have you been placed in? In what way have you been humbled this year? And what has that been doing to your heart? As we look at all the different ways that this year could have affected us, and now this week, as we look at an unexpected Christmas, maybe you now know what to expect from it, and you kind of have your game plan. As you look at all the things that have changed, I think each of us has kind of found our own little manger in a way, a way that we've been humbled a little bit this year. And as you do that, I pray that every time you experience something like that, it does not drive you to anger, but rather it allows you to see some joy. In that first Christmas, the unexpected thing is that the special extraordinary child did not receive extraordinary treatment, but that was on purpose. He was humbled from the beginning because he came here with a mindset of humility for you so that he could give you what you and I did not have. So whatever you're stuck in right now, I want you to know that God can still do great things through that, even in seasons where you are humbled because of the circumstances that were pushed on to you. And as you see this child born in Bethlehem, and as we see his love and forgiveness given to us, maybe that's a moment for you and for me to grow in our exercise of humility. But what I hope you can do this year is to find joy in your manger. The manger of Bethlehem, where your Savior was placed because he came here not for his own special treatment, but to treat you as extraordinary. Find joy in that truth. And then, also by extension, find joy in those moments in your life where you've been humbled. Find joy in knowing that God works through humble means. Let's pray. Dear Savior, as we celebrate your birth this week, there are so many details around it that are unexpected. Things that we think should go one way and then go another. And as I personally look through some of those details, it's always amazing to see how I shouldn't be shocked by those things. I should expect to be unexpected because you are doing something completely unimaginable. You were sending your eternal son to become a human being so that he could be humbled and so that he could live and die in our place. This is something that we'll spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out and grasp. But in this season, I simply pray that as we think about the, the humble manger scene and what Jesus went through for us, that it would fill us with joy. Joy for the world, joy for us as we see the gift that you gave. And I pray too, as we go through other seasons in life, you know, 2020 was one where a lot of us, our lives were changed in some way. That'll be the case until we see you in heaven. I pray that you'd give us the spirit of humility so that we see ourselves rightly and so that we see ourselves as servants of others and those who have been served by Jesus himself. So restore our hearts, give us peace and joy. In your name we pray, amen.